Friday and welcome back to another Friday Five episode here on the Agent Survival Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Rupel, and we are closing out the month of July, taking a look at what's good on streaming for the month of August and so much more in our episode today. Starting out with number one on our list. Interest rates are set to go up another three quarters of a percentage point after the Federal Reserve July meeting. It is the fourth increase of the year, and it will take the federal funds rate to between 2.25 and 2.5%. For recent context, that's where interest rates were at in the summer of 2019 prior to the pandemic. Fed Chair Jerome Powell did not rule out another aggressive increase at the next meeting. He said the Fed's current strategy is to take it meeting by meeting. One thing he did mention, quote, I do not think that the U.S. is currently in a recession. And the reason is there are just too many areas of the economy that are performing too well, end quote. The next Fed meeting is on the books for Tuesday, September 20th, and Wednesday, September 21st. Number two, a quick update on what Congress is doing about the ACA subsidy cliff that we've been reporting on in the past few Friday Five episodes. On Wednesday this week, Democratic Senator Ron Wyden, who also happens to be the Senate Finance Committee chairman, brought up the idea of extending the ACA subsidies for a longer period of time than the original two-year extension that was proposed. With the stripped-down version of the Democrats' health care bill looking like it will pass through the Senate, it might seem risky to add in that last-minute addendum. Certainly, that was initially what came to my mind when I read the news. And then any move that surprised many, me included, late Wednesday night, Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin announced that they had come to a deal on both the healthcare bill and the energy bill that had long been stalled in discussions. It came after passage of the semiconductor bill, which is aimed at helping the chip shortage affecting the auto industry consumer electronics, LED supply, turbine, and solar power industries, and that is really just the tip of the iceberg there. So what's in the bill that Senators Schumer and Manchin agreed on? The ACA subsidy extension was expanded from two years to three years in this new agreement, so perhaps Ron Wyden was influential in bringing about that extension. Subsidies put in place by the American Rescue Plan Act would remain in place. And a quick recap, those ensure that ACA beneficiaries' healthcare costs do not exceed 8.5% of their income. For earners making just 400% of the federal poverty level, they became eligible for subsidies. And then the legislation also allowed for some lower-income subsidies that did away with premiums entirely. So that's the ACA side of the healthcare bill. But the other exciting part is that the Medicare prescription drug legislation is still in that bill that Manchin and Schumer agreed on. So the redesign of Medicare Part D out-of-pocket costs 
capping those at $2,000 per year for Medicare beneficiaries. The requirement for drug company rebates if prices on prescription drugs for Medicare and private insurance markets outpace inflation increases. And then Medicare drug price negotiation, giving Medicare the ability to negotiate some of the more expensive medications. That power would fall to the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services. That position is currently held by Xavier Becerra. Negotiation would begin in 2026 with price adjustments on 10 drugs. That number would increase to 15 drugs in 2027 and 2028. And then in 2029 and beyond, the HHS secretary would be able to negotiate prices on 20 drugs per year. And if you're wondering how all of this will be paid for, that is a fair question. We will be linking to an article that explains that as well, so we don't get too wordy here. Now, we are still waiting on Congress to act on this legislation. It does still have to pass through the House and Senate, but there seems to be renewed hope that this will get done during this particular session and that it will not be tabled until September. So, fingers crossed, it would certainly cause less headaches for insurers if the legislation is passed sooner rather than later. Number three, a recent article in Benefits Pro brought a recent Forbes study to my attention, and it's hard to believe it, but the takeaway is similar to other studies completed in 2018 and 2019. And that is, most consumers do not have basic health insurance knowledge. Now, don't get me wrong, they were mostly happy with their coverage. That was the case in over 90% of male respondents and 80% of female respondents. But only 23% were able to correctly define the term coinsurance when presented with multiple choice answers. Close to one-third did not want to take a guess and 41% of younger people responded that they did not know. Respondents did better with the term copayment, with slightly more than half showing knowledge of that term. The study did report that many confused copayment with other insurance terms. And then to round out the trio, deductible, just about half of respondents in the study could not identify what a health insurance deductible was. Now, while these three terms might be some of the most common that we use on a regular basis, studies like this show, when it comes to our clients, we have to remember that they are not living in the land of insurance jargon. Not a bad idea to include a definition corner in your newsletters and take the time to define these terms. Another one that I will highlight here, because it's one that I have not thought about before, special enrollment. So about 30% of respondents believed that if they didn't like their insurance plan or were diagnosed with a new medical condition, they could change plans. And that is a pretty dangerous misconception to hold, especially with that latter, if they're diagnosed with a new medical condition. Now, we will be linking to the Benefits Pro piece 
and the Forbes Advisor study so you can learn more. And we also have our Medicare for Living resource, Understanding Your Medicare Advantage Moop Limit, and a Nerd Wallet piece, Understanding Copays, Coinsurance, and Deductibles. And we recommend you share those on social media to help your clients stay informed. Number four, I think I've mentioned before that we are on a hybrid work schedule here at Ritter. Two days in the office, three days at home, and that can make for an interesting work week. My work-from-home days look different than the in-office days, and it took a little bit to find a rhythm to the new schedule. But now that I've been doing it for a few months, it's starting to feel normal. So I thought I would share what's been working for me. I have two different morning routines for each of these kinds of days, but they all start out the same way. A giant cup of hot tea with milk, dim lighting, and quiet. Sweet, blissful, quiet. I take that time to read and have my tea in quiet solitude, and I like it that way. It's a calm ease into my day, and I can use that reflection time to set my mood for the entire day. On the days that I go into the office, I'll then proceed to some sort of task, like making my bed, folding a few towels, maybe doing some dishes, to give me that early sense of accomplishment. And after that, it's pretty much time for getting ready and getting out the door. But if I've taken that time in the morning to be still and get something done I can feel good about, it sets me up for a better morning. On the days that I work from home, I complete a morning strength training workout, and afterwards, if I have time, I'll go for a walk. I've been doing that earlier in the day lately because it has been terribly hot outside by the time lunch rolls around. And once I've completed that workout, I'm able to log online with a mostly clear head and a good idea of how I want the day to proceed. There's a lot of advice when it comes to morning routines, but what I have seen consistently mentioned, quiet reflection time, exercise, and planning your day. I can confirm that those are vital to my morning, and they have made a huge difference for me. Number five, last but not least on our list, I recently came across an article on Excel formulas, and it honestly reminded me of how life-changing it was when I learned about the sum formula in Excel. Because prior to that, I had been calculating by hand everything that I was keeping track of in Excel, and I have got a lot of spreadsheets. It's one of my favorite ways to visually organize data. But sometimes you need to add up those numbers, and the sum formula does that automatically for you. And it's really as simple as typing the equals sign, the word sum in all caps, and then enclosing the cells that you want added together in between parentheses, separated by colons. There's a formula for subtraction, multiplication, and division. So all of those are options to keep the human error out of spreadsheet calculations. And we'll be linking to a HubSpot cheat sheet with those and other Excel formulas 
So be sure to check out the notes for that. And then another Excel hack that is not on this list, but has to do with those formulas. Obviously, when you use a formula in Excel, it formats your data. And when I went to copy and paste that info, I got an error message. Our project manager, Alexis, gave me a great tip on how to prevent that from happening. You copy the data as you normally would, so Control-C. But then rather than simply pasting the data into a new sheet or workbook, instead use the Paste drop-down menu. Select Paste Values. And rather than filling the cells with the equation that gave you the values in the old spreadsheet, you'll be able to paste the values from those equations minus any of the additional code that would result in an error. That was another game changer for me, and I certainly hope these tips will be that for you as well. Rupel recommends. Starting out, I have to say, I am really bummed that Ms. Marvel was such a short series on Disney+. That was quite possibly my favorite Marvel TV series on the streamer so far, and I'm looking forward to seeing where Marvel takes Kamala Khan in future installments. On the streaming front, I'm still working my way through the latest Umbrella Academy release and, of course, trying to find more options for family movie nights. First up, we'll go with Disney+. Plus. On Wednesday, August 10th, I Am Groot premieres, and that is a series of shorts that recount baby Groot growing up and, I'm sure, saying I Am Groot in multiple variations. Season 3 of Bluey drops that day as well, and we get 25 new episodes. If you've never watched Bluey, we have watched every episode several times over in my house. I highly recommend getting your kids into it because it is one of a select few that I don't mind watching alongside my daughter. There are some very sweet and tender moments that only adults will get, like when we see what it was that made Bluey get up and walk for the first time. But there's also the silliness of chicken rats and just about everything Bluey's dad Bandit gets up to. Then on August 17th, we've got the premiere of She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. And I'm pretty much always here for a Marvel show with a female lead. That never gets old. Moving on to Prime Video, on August 10th, we get Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is a good reminder that I still haven't watched the first installment. Even though I did read plenty of coverage on Bad Sonic's design and enjoy his cameo in the new Chippendale movie. And then on the same day, The Lost City, a movie that reverses the role of adventurer and damsel in distress, with Sandra Bullock starring as the romance novelist turned adventurer and Channing Tatum as her cover model in distress. HBO Max has the premiere of the Game of Thrones prequel, House of the Dragon, on Thursday, August 21st. And then last but not least, on Netflix. August 3rd brings a documentary of the 1999 version of Woodstock and how it went so horribly wrong. 
On August 10th, season three of Lock and Key, which reminds me that I need to start watching that one as well. And on August 12th, Jamie Foxx stars with Snoop Dogg in Day Shift as a typical suburban father running a janitorial service, only that's a cover for his real job, hunting vampires. Oddly enough, this time around, my picks fall mostly in the beginning of the month, but as always, these are just my picks. We will have the links to get the full list in the notes, along with all the other resources we mentioned in this episode. Before I go, just want to give a quick shout out to Linda. She recently liked Tina's Agent Apps episode on hiking apps, and Linda, I hope you caught the app for music lovers this week, but if not, that is in the notes just for you. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I hope you have a great weekend. Stay healthy and stay safe out there, and we will see you next week. The Agent Survival Guide podcast is a production of Ritter Insurance Marketing. This episode was written and produced by me, Sarah Rupel. Script editing by Tina Lamaru. Artwork by Vivian Zhao.